What would be the worst thing to make illegal? Uh, CBD. Movies. Uh, smiling. Our range of answers was actually. <laughs> Why is low. Amber like CBD? <laughs> CBD. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I'm the first one who answered, so I have no like range of what are we discussing here. Yeah. Okay, so so your answer, Shamir, is actually illegal in some places to an extent, or interesting, um, or what's it called? Where where there's censorship, right? Yeah. So that, like for example, in countries where like pakistan china sometimes there's like no youtube yeah, yeah. or there's certain movies that are banned right. and that sucks and they always have to like do something to like get around that or yeah. so they can you it. i feel like you really love movies like that's your favorite like that's your favorite thing Frost, I, I you do know. too though i do but shamir is like he he has a like when he goes to the theater like it's oh. an experience you know yeah, yeah. for me like mm. going to the movie theaters that there's like no other feeling like you mm. you literally get taken out of this world that's true and then like you do there's like memes on tiktok you it's literally like, don't you develop but... a new personality see the thing is like, i'm not that big into movies but i know that feeling you're talking about so even though i'm not too big into movies i enjoy going to the movie theater because of that feeling yeah that feeling and that feeling is like everything yeah um but i don't watch like enough movies to be like oh movies are my like favorite thing ever but i feel like i should watch more movies there's like this right. thing that they were saying on tiktok like when you leave a movie theater and like you think you've like adapted that person's yes. like persona or like feeling. i will literally like my brother hates when i do this but i'll literally start acting like <laughs> basically someone annoying in the film yeah or like the villain yeah yeah and he'll be like, why do you always do this every time we watch something? Like, you obsess over it. But it's so fun. Yeah. And, like, pretending that you're in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Honestly, sometimes I just live my life thinking that I'm in a movie. Which one? No, no, like, I'm being recorded. <laughs> like, yeah, being filmed. Yeah, like, I'm being filmed. Like, I'll... If I'm walking or if I'm, you know... You know the whole thing where you look out of you a car window? You think you're a main character, basically. Well, I am. Right. <laughs> But you uphold main character energy on a daily basis. No, no. But I'm. what I mean by that is, like, if you're you, mm-hmm. then, of course, you think that you're the main character. Right. Cause no, wh- but also that, like, feeling of, like, being recorded, like, you live in a movie type thing. That's main character energy. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. It would suck if all that was gone. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said smiling. Yeah. I mean, it's Sunna. Just, just imagine... Like, you smile, and then what, what happens? You get arrested? Life expectancies would decline. Oh, that too. Happiness overall. Mm-hmm. That's happiness. That's not smiling. Yeah, but happiness is associated with smiling. Or smiling is associated with happiness. There's tons of times where I'm really happy, and I'm not smiling. You're... Right now? Freaking weird. Are you happy? I'm, Wait, so... I'm so that excited. That go, goes against um, what you would say. Like, that's the worst No, no. Thing. I would still say it's, if it's illegal, it would suck. <laughs> that was your that was your thing. Yeah. Because I like seeing p- other people smile. Mm. And what I'm saying is that, you know, nowadays, it feels like smiling is illegal. Everyone's so unhappy. Everyone's so depressed. You know where they're not depressed? Finland. Iceland. Do they All those not, Scandinavian uh, countries. illegal to smile? What's no, no, they're the just, point? they're the hap- they're ranked the happiest. Oh. They get paid to smile? <laughs> yeah. <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> they're incentivized. No, but like, you know, it just feels like there's always people... That are ruining the fun these days. Yeah. People, mm. just, smile. just smile. Have a good time. And hopefully you're smiling at 
this episode of Strange Flavors. Yeah, My name know. is Shimmer. I'm smiling for us. The I'm main character. CBD Amber. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the strangest and greatest podcast <laughs> in the game. This is brought to you by LF Theory. And you know what else is brought to you by LF Theory? This brand new Ooh. set wow. that we were here last time. But it, it's slightly upgraded. Woo! I mean, it's drastically updated. Let's Dra- be real. Drastically upgraded. And we're still going. And we're still mm-hmm. going. But let me finish the intro and then we'll get to thanking everybody okay. that was part of this process. But Perfect. Yes. If you'd like to email us or send us your music, strangeflavorspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to share it with all your friends. You can listen to it mm. anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcast, literally anywhere. Mm. And you do definitely want to tune in to the visual aspect of this because we've got crazy ass cameras this episode and i really appreciate that people actually went and commented on the youtube channel and stuff like it was fun reading those comments i actually watched that episode like four times skipping around just admiring how beautiful it was and how good of a job isan made that episode shout out isan shout out isan he's producing this episode and a lot of technical difficulties today that we may or may not talk about he has the official title of tech wizard yeah tech wizard that amber has crowned Isan. You're a wizard. How Harry. does it feel with that name? <laughs> he doesn't, He's he speechless. Doesn't, he doesn't have his mic. He doesn't have a mic, uh, but we're gonna he get can him yell. Mic. I, I can yell. I, I just I, I don't know how to respond to that. He's speechless. He's speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take the title, I guess. He'll take the title, I guess. Like I said, speechless. But um, yes, watch this on YouTube. Subscribe. Uh, leave a comment. Like. Everything you can do on this YouTube video. And if you'd like to make this set even better than it already has... Um, you can be part of Strange Flavors Town. Strange Flavors Town includes our wonderful, amazing um, participants community. Community. Um, and their names are Bobber's Bagels, Cassie's Cupcakes, Erha's Ices, Furiha's Falafels, Aslam's Apples. And yeah. And if you'd like to be a part of that. Did you say Erha's Apples? Did I say Erha's Apples? It's Aslam's Apples, bro. Aslam's Apples, Erha's Ices. <laughs> I was like, did they have a miscommunication where they traded chops? Maybe they did. Aslam doesn't want to sell apples anymore. Aslam's Ices? And, mm, Whoa. No, that doesn't I don't like that Aslam's Assies. Aslam's <laughs> And yes, you could also um, help this podcast by Patreon. Uh, we do have a link down below. And we have amazing merch that we're all kind of wearing. Sort of. Um, strangeflavors.store. Yes. Copy your amazing merch. A lot of you have already bought merch, but um, we'd like to give a huge shout out and thank you to you guys because um, after all the merch sales, after all the do- monthly donations of Strange Flavors Town and the Patreon, we have made this set even more amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of new equipment and... We have lots of plans to keep going um, yeah. as far as Oh, I also did buy a Gucci shirt with the Patreon money, too. Where is it at? What the hell? <laughs> Why did you not tell You'd us? You'd like to see it? No, that's fine. Just wear it in every episode. You better go out of your own money now. <laughs> no, but uh, no, we want to make sure that uh, all the money that's going into this is like, um, you know, funding this better production, better content. And uh, we make this set better for you guys. And we're not spending it on Gucci shirts. Facts. So. I mean, I'm down for Gucci Shamir shirt. being in a Gucci shirt. You don't even care about what... I literally think you get dressed in the dark. <laughs> Except Amber, for today. I'm, Except for today. Amber, because I'm you're wearing, wearing the flyest string. merch in the game. <laughs> Except for that. Except for today, you... P- consciously chose your outfit and it's better than most of them okay well you get dressed in a funhouse mirror so <laughs> and it's cute and fun i'd and rather fresh. dress in the dark because i because i could pick out anything from the closet and what matters not what i'm wearing what i'm saying it's the person who's wearing what it. i'm doing to you no to to anybody <laughs> amber remember the smiles uh-huh 
That's what we're encouraging. We're not going to judge the people well, for what they wear, now, right now what they don't frowning. wear. Give us a smile. Let's can put you... a smile on that face. I really don't no. like how you have a scissor. Can, can you give us there like a smile? There are scissors here, so I just... Like a... Like for, I've never seen Frost yeah. like try to smile. It, it's like either a genuine smile or whatever. Or like forced. But like forced smile. Can you give us like a forced smile? Like a nice like forced smile. Like a hee hee. Oh that my doesn't, gosh. No. Yeah, maybe don't do that. <laughs> it hey. doesn't look good. Oh, okay. That was fine. It doesn't look good. It, it doesn't look good. <laughs> you, know, you, know, like, you know like that uh, that TikTok where the guy's like, this is so funny. He goes, he goes we, please, we are not we are not Muslims like, Allah Akbar, yes. We are like, Allah Akbar, yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, we're not like, Allah Akbar, boom. We are like, Allah Akbar, yes. <laughs> I thought you were saying, Allah Akbar, boom. <laughs> like, no. I know. I just thought that's where it was going. Ruin the vibe. I'm so sorry. Uh, okay. I wanted to ask you guys something. Okay. Is there anything that in your life that you just felt like, I've never been this close to death before. Has there ever been a time where you're just like, I can't believe I almost died. And then later that day, you're just like, I could have not been alive right now. Yeah. yeah. There was a, um, in New York, what's the most popular bridge that you can like walk and there's like bicycles going The Brooklyn through? Bridge? I think it's, I don't know if it's a Brooklyn Bridge. Maybe it's a Brooklyn Bridge. But there's like a path where you walk and there's a path where there's bikers coming from like yeah. the opposite end. And um, one time... Um, my f friends were behind me and there's so many people. And so then I peek, I slightly go into the bike lane and then, um, to catch, look at my friend behind me. And then I turn around and this bike literally like two centimeters right in front of my face just passes by me. You like, thought you were going to die from that? A bike? A le legit. He was going so fast. But like. Who dies from a like bike Like severe injury maybe, you? but death? I thought I was going to die. But mm. what? Do you, how are you going to think in two seconds? Like, oh, I'm not going to die from this. All right, let me react. No, but like, like later that day, were you like, I can't believe I almost died? Oh, no. But like at that moment, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Right? <laughs> I guess. I would have. I would have thought that I'm going to, this bike is going to like topple over me and the biker's going to get pissed. In you can't think like that. In you know, no, no, because you know on the on the on that bridge, the bikers always like, move bike. This, ding, this dude ding, didn't ding. even say anything. <laughs> like he literally oh. just like almost. Bro, there was there was a guy me. on that same bridge that <laughs> this guy decided to propose to his girl, and as soon as he got down, there was a biker coming and he decked him. <laughs> and the, the biker, like, yeah, <laughs> the, the biker like wiped out. No, no, the photographer. It was the yeah. photographer and the biker. Oh, and oh the photographer like hit hit him by accident or whatever. They were like recording and they were making a video, so they kept going. And then the biker was like, not cool with it. <laughs> well, but but why do that in I don't the middle of that. like places like that where? I don't maybe know. I guess like, it's maybe romantic. that's like where they first met or something. <laughs> I don't know. The, the funny thing is, like New Yorkers just don't care. They're like, I need to get yeah. from point A to point B. I don't care what you're doing. Yeah, you were in my way. Yeah, that's so like true. go get married, <laughs> go, go prepare, <laughs> propose somewhere else. Like that's cute over there. But Not like, in my bike there. lane. <laughs> yeah. People yeah. are serious about bike lanes. Yeah, that's true. What was yours? You have one? I do have one. Uh, when I was a teenager. I almost thought I died from a broken heart. No, I'm just kidding. A broken heart? <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real. Um, I um, was in the car with one of my homegirls. She just got her license, and my parents were, like, skeptical about me going, and we were going to a pool party. So I was in the car with her, and she was, like, very, like, spacey-headed, like, very, you know, didn't know how to focus for anything. Two Ambers in the car. Yeah, bas <laughs> basically, but, like, imagine me, but, like, way worse. 
So um, it was a pool party. I put a swimsuit on and I put a shirt on because us brown girls know all about that life. You got to put clothes on the top of a swimsuit. And as soon as I finished that, I went to go reach over for the seatbelt, like with my hand. And as I did that, my friend looked over at my hand to see what I was doing. Don't know why she would do that while she's driving. Right in front of us, a car was trying to take a left turn. And she like obviously you have to stop or go around it she just slammed straight into the back of it and we ran into oncoming lane traffic to the other side of the road over a um what's it called curb into a tree and then because I never had the seatbelt on my hand flew back and my face flew into the windshield and my face made an imprint in the broken glass so the glass broke in the fate in the shape of my face. Is this final destination? I mean, so serious. And That's so kind of artistic. It was it was insane. So then I pushed back, and I really didn't understand what happened. And I just see her look over at me, freaking out. And she. So you actually almost. I it, no, I'm being so serious. Yeah. Yeah. And so she looked over at me, and I didn't realize till her reaction that something was wrong, because she looked at my face and screamed like in horror. Was it like all bloody and stuff? I guess. So all I know is I just try to leave out the car, and I start walking till I start falling, and I just see a man running towards me, rips off his shirt. It's like this like older white man ripped off his shirt and just like put it on my face. To Wait, stop a random blood. guy? A random guy pulled Dang. over on the side of the road. What a hero. Shout out. He ripped his shirt off and just started like putting his shirt into my face to like stop the blood from coming out. And so this like other white lady pulled over. Um, they were both holding me till the ambulance came. They put me in the ambulance. I left whatever. A few months later, um, they were doing a driver's ed course in my county and they used my face from the glass the picture of my car in the driver's ed, like. Oh, scared. so you were an example of like why you should wear why you should wear your seatbelt, wow. right? And so um, I, you know, my entire eyebrow in the upper quadrant, right quadrant of my face. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Was I didn't have an eyebrow for a few months. I like my whole face was messed up or whatever. And for the whole thirty days, I was ripping glass out of my skin that they couldn't take out at the hospital because it was like deep into my skin. So as time went on for like a whole month, I'd be ripping glass out of my skin. And then, yeah, there's Jeez. a lot of stories that go with that accident. But that's yeah. not as scary as mine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that that's right insane. there is scary. Yours is scary. But mine is literally the scariest. OK, is this it? is going to be the least scariest. Let's no, <laughs> literally. Yeah, like okay. a bad piece of chocolate right. or something. You guys are going to feel bad afterwards because okay. I'm being serious. This is why I even brought this up. Uh, he's literally not being serious. No, he's being in, serious. I'm being serious. You're not. In middle school, Isan, you guys why are going to feel bad you? after I say this. Okay. In middle school, this literally, I'm not even making this up. This happened to me. You know those mozzarella sticks? <laughs> like, like, hold on. I didn't even. The, did you choke this on the cheese? This is not funny. This is not funny. Bro, you, you just compared cheese to my face being broken. I'm talking about a traumatic experience and you guys are <laughs> so <laughs> making okay, fun okay. of me. Okay. okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. They're really hot when they come out, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there. Okay. My friend is talking to me and I start eating one. They're, they smack. Like uh -huh. the ones in middle school for some reason. Never had any like that in my life outside. No restaurant could ever do anything like that. Marinara sauce is hot. Mozzarella sticks, hot cheese. I'm eating one, right? I eat half. You know how it's really stringy? Yeah. I swallow it and half, the, it's so stringy and so hot. Half of the mozzarella stick 
is in my just in my yeah. s- stomach. Yeah. No, no, in my like throat. throat. Yeah. And the rest is in your hand. In my hand, I'm pulling it out, and it's not coming out. It just keeps getting longer, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. oh snap! You, you and, know, um, in early childhood education classes, and I told you guys this, Amber. Before. And I'm eating the mozzarella stick, <laughs> and I'm telling my friend to grab the mozzarella stick. He's talking to me still, telling his lame story, whatever it was about, probably like dumb bionicles or something. And and he's just like, bro, just like cut it. And I'm like, just pulling and pulling on it. This sounds like a fire mozzarella stick, to be honest. <laughs> it's it's it smacked. This it was is, so this good. This is a Final Destination movie, like middle school edition. It's a but then, <laughs> but then, but then the rest of them, I like broke them up myself by hand, and then just like chewed on that piece and swallowed it. Because if you do the whole thing, whether you eat half of it and pull it, it's it looks all cool. It sounds like a fun idea until you swallow half of it, and then the other half is stuck in your body. Wait, and so the how, other how half do you save out. it? How do you save yourself? Well, eventually, I just like you know, like tried to mush the cheese off, like the band. Okay. Because if I pulled it, it just kept getting longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the quality of the cheese that they're using in middle school. Yeah. It's really good Wait, stuff. Wait, so how long was that moment? Like It felt like seconds. at least 15 years. <laughs> but And you're choking the whole time. like. But it was probably one, to be honest. Which it is still a long time. Minute. And then that night, I laid in my bed. And I thought about how I almost died. And I wasn't going to live past that day. Because of a mozzarella stick. Do you still love mozzarella sticks? Yeah, they're amazing, but not, not the ones. That mozzarella stick? Oh, my God. That was different. So it like, was good. So, like, whenever you go to, like, you know, Denny's or wherever, and you, like, order mozzarella sticks. I don't go to Denny's, first of all. Okay. Don't even sorry. associate okay, me with sorry. Denny's. Sorry. Only talk about Too Waffle good for House. Denny's. Only Waffle, Waffle House, House around for right. us. You're Denny Tanner. You, you get, you get, <laughs> do they have mozzarella sticks in Waffle House? No. Okay. Why'd you say Why'd you no? Say like like that? it was like impossible Because <laughs> Denny's thinks that like you can just throw everything in the world on a menu and that's true. it's going to work. That's true. Waffle House Arguably. specializes in waffles. Hash browns, <laughs> waffles, not even pancakes. Same with IHOP. Who does IHOP Honestly, think they are? Honestly, waffles are better than pancakes anyway. Well, obvi- that's obvious. If you think otherwise, you deserve to choke on a mozzarella stick. <laughs> okay. I was trying to tell you that mozzarella sticks are the number one choke hazard food for children. Oh. Where were you? <laughs> no, so they when I was Where taking out early childhood education classes, we actually learned that if we gave mozzarella sticks to children or whatever, mm-hmm. you had to chop them up and make sure they were cold because when they're warm, they can, you know, shape shift. But when they go in your throat, your throat shape is Shape shift. Yeah. But when they if go If I heard this, I would have well, I mean, yeah, Price that's the whole eating. idea of that, them being stringy, right? But when they go inside your throat, your throat is cool, so they take shape of your throat and will close it. Bro, why that's, are they feeding these to kids? They shouldn't be. That's, they should be. No, they should not. I'm still very satisfied and traumatized. with my experience. Well, you, you literally <laughs> said it was worse than both of our experience of actually dying. <laughs> but, both but, of ours could have ended us up in a hospital. No, that's probably hospital. scary because A, you're being made fun of at the time. B, like you're, you actually think you're gonna die. C, you're being, you're dying from like mozzarella stick. Like imagine that. You're not and dying. No, you no, but, feel like you're dying. But, but it's a thrill to be honest. For us, how I'm, did you? I'm very grateful for the experience. I've learned a lot from it, and the experience itself. How dare you? I feel like I have what's it called? Stockholm syndrome. What? From the mozzarella stick. <laughs> 
You know when you like <laughs> Hold on. when you when you um that's when you like your you think that you like your abuser. And Gosh. the mozzarella stick, it abused me, but honestly, I would let it abuse me again. Please tell me we have other topics because I'm tired. I'm so, I really need to move on from these mozzarella sticks. Shout out and to the, the mozz. And I also need to move on from the audacity that you have today. Shout out to our... the sheesh, the mozzarella sticks. Oh, oh my God. One time, one time for the mozz. <laughs> sheesh. Okay. Mm-hmm. This list was everywhere for some reason. And people were talking about this list of top 10 jobs that kids want. Okay. okay. It was brought to attention by this tweet by Z, Z Bulliger. Okay, cool name. He said, how depressing. Our society has failed to provide ambitious role models to our children. And the list, the number one, um, the jobs on here that kids want to be, YouTuber. Number two, blogger slash vlogger. Three, musician slash singer. Four, actor. Five, filmmaker. And then after that, we get into doctor, nurse, TV presenter, athlete, teacher, writer, lawyer. 34% of kids, it looks like, want to be YouTubers. When, What is this age group? Because so, yeah, kids, people are like, uh, what's the source? What's the sample size? Because no two-year-old is saying they want to be a filmmaker. <laughs> like, um, but YouTuber, probably. Yeah, but for sure. But, like, what's the age range on this? Is it, like, seven-year-olds who spend... 60% of their day watching YouTube? Yeah. Or is it like a three-year-old who's playing with like blocks and stuff and like may casually... Well, you listen, know? you're saying two-year-old, no two-year-old is saying that, but my thing is... No they, two-year-old is saying filmmaker. I know, I know, but they could be and it's fine because I remember even when we were in middle school and before that, kids are just saying random things. I think I yeah. said astronaut fireman but police like, officer but why is that right so why does society like those are s- deemed drilled into our heads like those are the best things to be so you would mm-hmm. think that but kids have an even smaller world than that kids are in school and based off of home are only taught about certain things right so they know what doctors are they know what lawyers are whatever back when we were kids our exposure to jobs or career days was, oh, okay, do you want to be an astronaut, a police officer, yada, yada. They weren't, you know, giving us a world of options. They gave us very stereotypical job role titles. And then we were basing it off of that. Our answers were only ever astronaut, race car driver, No, but like there was, there was girls in my class that would be like, I want to be a princess. And then the teacher oh, yeah. would be like, grip. <laughs> right but that's what i'm saying is like then what it's either what you learned in school or what you know at home and they're either yeah. watching what they know on tv so right now these kids have you know at school what are they you know they're learning either a lawyer doctor or whatever but then whatever they're saying on the apps that they're no, but on. why are people so upset about this like this dude's whole tweet how depressing <laughs> our society has failed to provide ambitious role models to our children excuse me yeah aka he wants to brainwash kids <laughs> yeah, like, wh- like, what do you want them to say? Yeah. By the way, I did end up finding the list or a list that was done on a study. This is on uh, CNBC, and it says that toy production firm Lego surveyed 3,000 children between the ages of 8 and 12 from the U.S., the U.K., and China, as well as 326 parents who had children aged between 5 and 12. So according to their list, it said that 11% of them wanted to be a YouTuber. So it's a very similar list um where a majority of them want to be something that they're 
seeing, consuming, like you're mm-hmm. saying. Um, but it's weird because when we were, this is only like not even that long ago, I'd say between five and 10 years ago, people were like, oh, we need more encouragement of creative fields and arts and like we don't need to all, or maybe that's in our community. I think that's, yeah. And maybe our age range too. Yeah. But it was seen as like we have enough of doctors, lawyers, all right. these like um, fields that are seen as really noble and we need to encourage people to be uh, in other fields such as these and those fields should be respected and paid better. Mm-hmm. But now the conversation, especially on these social media apps, it's weird to hear people our age be like, oh, this is like society is doomed because there's a lot of people that are reacting yeah. negatively to this. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just like um, it's a it's a mixed sort of thing because there are a lot of people that abuse these roles and we're not going to get into it. But like we see what's happening with David Dobrik um, and he's getting canceled currently by a lot of people because him and his group um, were alleged of doing certain things. And this has happened to a lot of people that kids looked up to, including Logan Paul, who had that whole suicide forest uh, scandal. And a lot of these YouTubers and social influencers that get caught up in these scandals. We don't hear of the same thing from, I guess, these other titles, but they're not in the public eye as much. Yeah, Yeah, they don't have that platform. We hear from politicians when they're finally caught. Yeah. Or like in a courtroom with court documents. Like if you're if you're having like malpractice as a YouTuber, that's you know <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like that's like doing something wrong that, you know, your punishment is cancel culture. Yeah. Um and then if you do something wrong as a doctor, your punishment is the law. Yeah. So it's like the punishments vary, I guess. I think if ultimately you're taught good values and to respect yourself and other people then it's fine. Yeah. You know, like as long as you're doing something where you're doing it in a appropriate, respectable way, then you should let your kids yeah. explore these things. Also, kids have like a huge imagination. Like, you know, like Amber was saying earlier, like we only see astronaut, let's go to space and fly. They're mm-hmm. not like, oh, we have to fix this spaceship and so we can go up and right. do become an astronomist and study all these things. We're like, oh, we want to fly up we there. Wanna fly. We want to exactly. fly. Exactly. Like, it's, it's simplified. Yeah, like fire trucks. Oh, we have to do this. And it's just like, oh, we take down the fire or whatever. Doctor, like, I want to help people, not actually like go in and yeah, like and figure like out cutting out parts and body whatever. parts and you know gruesome stuff like that with youtuber it's very easy to see like oh yeah like i want to make videos and stuff and that's actually kind of what they're doing kids are innocent man yeah. you can't be like getting mad at what they say when all of their things are just aspirational well you should also see where the kid's head is if they are craving yeah. attention and they want to be a youtuber and don't get mad when they finally start an only fans or something <laughs> and they they continue to garner all this attention and it helps them out and and then ultimately makes them feel bad about themselves when they can't get likes or something and versus somebody who wants to be a filmmaker and tell certain stories you know it's a very different thing yeah so why is it that they want to be a youtuber you know you try to understand their Everybody intentions needs and therapy raise them right <laughs> but we will be talking to somebody who succeeded in this mm. field Whoa. today which is our stranger um and 
She is a filmmaker who has captured some amazing stories that we'll get into um, and has figured out a way to do it um, in, in the most authentic way to herself and uh, communities that she looks up to or wants to learn more about. So everybody, please welcome our stranger, Kaula Malik. Welcome to Strange Flavors. Welcome to our show. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for putting up with us, honestly. Yeah. yeah. We have a whole new setup and everything going on, so. It's okay, you know. Just don't make this mistake for the next guest. Oh, <laughs> Actually, you're smash. the first guest to get to ex experience this. Well, she's not experiencing exactly. it. Exactly. So it's, it's, she's still on the trial. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But I don't know. She'll be the first one with the episode. Yeah. That is nice. I was actually so excited when Hadia told us about you because of the topics of your films. There's a lot of filmmakers out there um, who, I guess, more and more, it, it's becoming easier to take on the creative fields because we have access to many other things. But how long have you been doing this for? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard question to answer because full-time, I've probably been doing it about three, four years, but on and off have been working in the industry since like 2011. Okay. So most recently, uh, you've been working on this project called The Noble Half. And I think that's what we really want to dive into here. But uh, from, from just, you know, a quick look at it, I mean, I saw the trailer and it already looks really, um, I guess, very personal, which I've thought about this subject before, but quickly tell us kind of overall what it what it's about. Yeah, it's it's interesting you bring this up because I've actually been thinking about the project during COVID a lot. You know, I haven't been able to travel to Pakistan and film, but you know, it's a it it's become very near and dear to my heart. It's a film that is a documentary actually that is you know, following a group of trans women, Khwaja Sura in Pakistan, specifically in Rawalpindi. And the main women in the film were running this cafe at an arts university outside Islamabad. That's how I met them. We became friends and started filming. And now it's been, you know, many years, it's been like f almost five years since I met them and going back and forth and filming. But, you know, it's, meant to be a feature let's see you know these this process can take a long time and so i think for me and for the women in the film we're just thinking about like can this be something that's maybe shorter to get it out into the world um you know given how covid put a halt on just so many things and so many projects so i just want to I, you know, we raised some money on Kickstarter and I want to make sure that we do the project justice. And I am starting to just think about like what that looks like in the long term and how can we um, do that in a way that isn't something that's drags on for so long. And if it does, like then being really thoughtful about the process. What, what got you into like pursuing this project? 
Um, you know, this is a community in Pakistan that you hear a lot about when I was young and I would go and visit Pakistan like every summer. It was a community that my grandparents would talk about. Um, we had, you know, family who had Khwajasaras that worked in their home or like would come to visit. So there was a lot of exposure. And I think for me as a child growing up in America and sort of not totally identifying as like a girly girl. I was definitely a huge tomboy. What I found really interesting was that there was a there was a space in Pakistani society for a community that wasn't living in this binary. Um, and I thought that was really special and interesting. And I think it's really been this process of diving into what that means, but also really looking back at our own cultural heritage and seeing how there is space for queerness and, you know, gender non-conforming people in our community, in our communities that has sort of been erased because of colonialization and stuff like that. That's a really interesting point because I read this on your Kickstarter too, which is not something that I realized, but you were saying that before uh, British people came in, um, there wasn't as much of this separation or, I guess, harassment um, that occurs today. Uh, what, what is that sort of like brief history of, of um, how we used to, I guess, include these uh, people or, you know, how they were included within our society versus what ended up happening after colonization? Mm -hmm. So I'm not a historian, so I can't, I don't think I can be, uh, I'm not going to be super informed, but I know from just the work that I've done and research and things like that, that it, you know, the British really operated in this binary. So when they came, they just, anything that was like threatening to the heteronormative ideals, they just had to like, oppress and move to the fringe of society. And this community was one of those things. Um, before that, you know, th this community was, you know, they were advisors to the Mughal emperors. They were protectors of the harem. So they had a lot of, um, there were spaces of dignity for them to exist in. And now like that's, that doesn't necessarily exist anymore. And I think a lot of it is our culture is still trying to reckon with like, what does our post-colonial identity look like? What does Pakistani identity look like? I think it's very much, um, what's the word? Uh, um, looking for Tainted, yeah, it's very much tainted by all this noise of like, are we Muslim? Are we like, what do we want to embody as a Pakistani? I think the national identity is like really confused. Hmm. Um, and even more so for like the diaspora for like people like us. Um, but that's kind of what I would say. I think there's also, there's always been space for this type of community within like not only cultural, but like spiritual heritage. If you look back at like the Hindu epics, you know, these, this community was blessed. And so I don't know if you guys are familiar, but I just remember going to Pakistan and always hearing like, you shouldn't be mean yeah. to these people because they have a relationship that's like closer to God. 
and that's kind of fascinating um as well and so like what's the lineage of that like what does that mean i think there's all these interesting things that are we have in our culture that we just that have been erased i think that's like the easiest way to say it well, like you, things have been erased that we don't talk about and that's just unfortunate you were talking about how you uh heard about them with your grandparents and other people um i don't know about you but like me so i grew up there briefly in pakistan mm-hmm. and anytime i go back the conversation is always kind of like how you're explaining these i don't know if you want to call them rumors or what but i never know what the truth is but my knowledge of it of this community was yes one if you see them dancing in the streets or inviting them to your wedding and you don't pay them then they do badwa which is bad prayer basically uh, or evil eye or however people kind of recognize that there's that one um what was the other one i wrote some down because it was there's so many different um like myths. oh holding kids for ransom i don't know if you've heard of that one but mm-hmm. kidnapping kids mm-hmm. and then forcing them to like grow up that way that that was one there's the so many right yeah have you heard all of these where you did you have that in the back of your mind when you're making this film or like did you explore or try to find out where this stuff comes from at all um no because i think what's important is and i was the other thing i want to mention is i think if you guys have these questions it might be it it would behoove you to invite someone from this community onto your podcast to talk about it, right? Because I'm just a filmmaker. I'm not a member of this community. They've been gracious enough to let me into their lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've built this relationship and a friendship, but I, I, it, it doesn't feel right for me to speak for the community. Um, I can speak about the work, but I think what I will say is as a filmmaker, it's important to me, one, to recognize the privilege and power that I have in being able to take a camera and document someone's life. Um, And then also asking myself, what does it mean to create a piece of work that feels collaborative? And that's a co-creation with the people who are being filmed and myself. And what does a project like that look like? And I think that's kind of the phase I'm in now with this film is like, how can we make something that is not just this documentation, that's not just answering questions for audiences that don't belong to this community. Cause I think that's kind of fucked up mm. um, because then the film just becomes an avenue to answer questions as opposed to an avenue for there to be something kind of magical happening on screen. That's this, uh, collaboration where these where people can just be themselves you know and there isn't a burden to have to explain something but what you see on screen is telling you something about who they are because ultimately that's what matters and of course there might be instances or moments that you see on screen that reflect on these things of like what does it mean to be someone like me in the society and 
what does my day-to-day, what's my day-to-day struggle related to that? Um, but I, I'm hesitant to, um, create something that is just addressing certain, um, you know, preconceived notions about the community, if that makes sense. For sure. I think that's a, you know, a brilliant answer one, because it makes sense, uh, due to our ignorance of it, we've seen a trailer, right? Um, so we'd have to watch the film to really understand. Cause like, this is what we were grown up, uh, being told and anybody that I've spoken to about this, I'm just like the difference between the way that trans people are treated in the West versus what I grew up seeing anyways, is like, wait, isn't this kind of the same thing? Why is it that there are these preconceived notions or these, um, you know, tales uh, that, that happen with this community? And comparing, you know, the Western sort of society with um, back home, it's interesting that there was actually Supreme Court rulings um, which kind of tried to protect this community, which is, I think, something that would surprise uh, Westerners. Do you know um, yeah. how that's translated over there? Does it actually do anything or what's kind of like the follow-up? Yeah, you know, I think there's, as with any country where laws are passed, it's like, it doesn't really matter if a law is passed. It, it really matters how it's enacted and what that means on a day-to-day for people and how it affects them on a day-to-day. So like you can pass a law that's like, oh, there's going to be no discrimination against um, the Khwajasara community in Pakistan. It's like, okay, great. You just wrote that on a piece of paper. Like, what does that mean for that community on a day-to-day basis? Like, it's about changing people's perception. It's about, um, it's about, I mean, it's the same thing that's going on in our country, right? You have the Asian American hate that's happening, just hate against anybody who's not white. And you can have jobs say like equal opportunity employment is important and we're not going to discriminate. It's like, that's just, again, writing on paper, writing on a, it doesn't, if someone has that hate in their heart, you can't, they're going to, they're going to just not care what the paper says, mm-hmm. but there's also no way to prove that they have the hate in their heart. Um, it still seems progressive really in say- some way, meaning like, what I'm saying it's, it still seems progressive in some way, which for example, I, I think I saw this on the news or something where, um, for certain forms, there was actually a section that they could fill out um, as being trans. And again, I, I, I hear what you're saying about like, what does the paper do or whatever, but those are some of the things that people here I've heard asking for. Yeah, and so, it like normalizes it more, I think. What does it though? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it is super progressive in so many ways. And I think, you know, but I think there's still issues. Of course, Pakistan and a lot of other countries are doing these things that like, on a broad level that are like, this community is not going to be discriminated against and all this stuff. And you have a right to have a passport and all these things, which is huge. Um, it's just, excuse me, it's just a matter of um, what does a rollout look like? How is it, is it impacting 
like the average person day to day? Is it changing their minds? Is it changing their perceptions? It's like normalizing. Maybe, maybe not. But it's once, you know, it's like these are the first steps that need to be taken. And it's great that that's happening. And I guess has happened. I guess the solution to that is having things like arts because that's what touches emotions. That's what you're doing, right? You're creating a film, Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering, does your film work towards like Western audiences or will Pakistanis actually watch this? I mean, the goal is to have Pakistanis watch it. The goal is to have community engagement because otherwise why the fuck am I making a movie? Um, To me, that is the most important thing. Like, how do you get this film in front of people who are going to be impacted by this in their day to day? Yeah, a global audience is great and American audience is great, but this is not a film for like the white gaze. Well, I guess the um, the sort of narrative we hear sometimes towards people that are critical of those who make films in a foreign country is that, oh, this man or woman or whatever made this film, won all of these awards, and how did it impact people that were filmed? You get what I'm saying? So I guess that's where that kind of comes from. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I want to get some clarity on your question, though. Oh no no I was just I was well, just making a Oh I'm not trying to <laughs> like uh interrogate you. I just like um I've heard that criticism before. So Of course, yeah. I mean, listen. No one is going to like everything. Not everyone is not going to like what you make. That's part of like that's part of what you sign up for. You know, there's films that I've made, there's a film I made about my parents during COVID. Uh, where they think there's a UFO outside their window. It's a documentary. They actually thought that was happening. Oh my God. And they, you know, not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone's going to like it. And that's fine. It like doesn't really matter. It's what matters is that like the people who it does resonate with, who are like, oh, wow, I see my parents in this, or I see like, I get what you're trying to do here. And like, I feel seen because I think, you know, for our community, how many filmmakers are there? How many creatives are there? There's like, thankfully, a lot of, I think, amazing, you know, younger generation kids who are doing this. And like, in like 10, 15 years, there's going to be more of us. And like, that's what's important. And everyone's going to have a different story to tell. Everyone is allowed to tell the stories that they want to tell. And I, I think it's wrong to put the burden on like one person from a community to carry the weight of like full representation, because that's a lot of pressure when, you know, we're all fucking Daisy. We already have so much pressure, you know, that's like one more weight that someone has to carry. That's not fair. It's so hard to make films to even finish a film is like an accomplishment in and of itself that I think as filmmakers, we should be proud of because like I said, it's super hard to just even finish a project. And like, that should be something that is valued. Yeah. 
Um, well, you're making a sacrifice. We, all of us, we talk about this all the time. We've had other people we talk to where, um, we, yeah, we're like celebrating, okay, finally we have more filmmakers, we have more people. And, uh, you know, from seeing the trailers of your films, it was like, this seems so genuine. It seems so like telling of s individual stories rather than like, oh, I'm this great filmmaker or whatever. But it sucks that sometimes like these people, whenever we see a show and we like it, and then we go online and everyone's like, oh, like this doesn't represent us and blah. And they get torn apart because we have such little representation that anybody who's doing it is under a microscope. So you are making yeah. a sacrifice for a lot of people. And if you get that criticism, it's going to be because you were one of the first to do it and, and you know, like take that risk and be brave about it. So I, uh, I applaud you for doing yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, you know, there's many more like me that are doing this that have come before and are coming after that. It's, it's a tough field, but I think it's really rewarding when you do the stuff that really means something to you. And if any of you guys, anybody who's out there hearing this, um, I think that's just something really important to think about that. It's about um, your journey too, as an artist and really doing the things that you care about. There's always going to be projects that you have to do for money that you're like, Oh God, I don't want to do this. And this is stupid. And I don't care about this, but you know, as long as you have your other stuff that like you do care about and you just continue working on that, I think it's worth it. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the, the film and the, the actual stories for a minute here um, and whatever you're able to give us. So your film follows three lead stories of Bubbly, Isha, and Sharmili, was mm -hmm. it? Um, how did you pick those three? Was there a selection of people you went through or did you gravitate towards them for another reason? Mm -hmm. I had done like an initial research trip and Bubbly, Isha, and Sharmili were running the cafe. So that was like just immediate where I was like, okay. What was the deal with the cafe? It shut down and they were all working there? Mm -hmm. It shut down. There was like the administration changed at the university. And unfortunately, a casualty of that was like bubbly and everybody being let go and then giving the contract to someone else. And why did, why so were they, they all working at this cafeteria? Um, because it was an initiative that bubbly had started in partnership with the principal of that university. Mm. Um, I think several years prior, like a year or two before. And it was gonna, you know, employ trans women. Wow. And and bubbly, yeah. you know, you, you keep mentioning her, is a politician or something? She's not a politician. She's a badass. Uh, <laughs> bubbly is a trans activist in her community. She's incredible. I mean, she's just has sacrificed so much for her community and really advocates for them and is definitely a leader um for her community so hmm. i think she's doing amazing work for everybody and then so how did you so you have like her who's like really leading a lot of efforts but then you have two who are like one um who is a little bit more laid back and lives a i guess a different socioeconomical class than the others and so how do you decide that okay for my film i'm gonna have these three um, different sides of this story. 
you know, I I think that's a question that's really hard to answer because it's that's just how it happened. That's just how it's happened. And like I've said before, we're still if it was a finished film, I could talk about it more, but because it's not finished, I'm hesitant to talk too much about it. Um are these like because, you found a lot of people and you boiled it down to three or these people's stories stuck out to you in some type of way? Or were these the people you had access to? Um, they were the people who I connected with the most. You know, I, I met a couple other people as well. It wasn't like a casting call or anything. It was just this natural connection that happened mm-hmm. um, where I met them at the cafe. And I was like, okay, I think this you know, it could be some, this could, there, there's something here. Um, and let's see what that looks like. And so that's kind of, that's what, how the process began. What's, what's the thing that you learned most, uh, you know, being a part of this whole thing, being a part of the community, being there hands-on, um, and interacting with everybody. Uh, there's so much joy and so much generosity and and magic you know the these women are amazing they're they're incredibly resilient um they're super funny and i think that's you know that's what we forget you know we put people in these boxes and we think they're they should be a certain way and you just kind of you lose track of the humanity of people and i think um that's I feel like just whether this film is done or not, it's just being able to have the opportunity to get to know them and to be able to spend time with them is, um, well, it's, is not going to be forgotten. Are you ever like afraid of finishing a film because you like enjoy the process of like meeting these people and all that stuff. And, um, you might have to like move on to the next project or something. Um, I don't know if I would be, I'm afraid of not finishing a film, right? Like I want to finish this film, um, but I don't have control over when it's going to be finished or not because films aren't free. So they take time to make, they take money and they, you know, they take all these things. And so I think all I can do is just be patient with the process and the other thing is, you know, as you, as you film, especially the documentaries, like the, the film changes you, you know, I think if you go into a film or a project being like, oh, I'm going to change X, Y, and Z, like maybe that's not the best approach because I think it's really about yourself and the journey and like how the journey is going to change you. And maybe it's going to change other things, but you just don't have control over those things. And so I think um, the other thing too is in the process, you realize how much you've changed. So like the initial intention I had for the film has totally shifted and it's become something else. And I think you have to be okay with that. Um, You can't be too precious about what your vision is going to be and um, what you imagine, because then you kind of shut yourself off from uh, surprise, because something can come up and you can be like, oh, wow, this is turning into something completely different. And 
I was not thinking it would. I mean, that moment, that like feeling has happened to me like so many times on this film. And I think finishing a project, you, uh, when you're done, yeah, there's probably a grief process that happens. How do you know when you're done? Because I'm assuming that when you go into all this, there's a lot of research that you have to collect. And I'm sure that it could take endless amount of time. You could always go into it deeper and deeper. How do you know when you've collected enough information, especially if it derails and goes into a different direction than where you originally thought? How do you know when you've had enough? You know, I think you just have to trust that excuse me, something will be done when it's done, but you also have to make a choice to be like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. Because if you don't make that choice, you could keep working and reworking something to death. And, you know, I think the difference between documentary and fiction is in documentary the you, you don't always find the story when you're filming, you find the story in the edit and you find it throughout the process. Um, in fiction, you have a story that's written and you take it and you shoot it. And like, you really make three films. You know, you make, you you have one film is the film that you've written. You have the film that you shoot and then you have the film that you edited. In documentary, I feel like it's a film that you've conceptualized. It's the film that you think you're going to make. And then you don't end up making that. And then it's like, okay, I guess... I'll just figure out what I'm going to do. And then it's the film and the edit that comes out, right? The story that comes out of the edit. Cause you could go into the edit being like, yeah, I think I have the footage to like make this film. And as you're watching stuff, you might be like, Oh, this might be an interesting thing. This might be an interesting walk to take. Um, and you just, you go down these rabbit holes and you just let the footage kind of guide you on the journey. and what people are um what your protagonists are kind of communicating to you too i hope that answered your question what is the uh community's reaction to the film were they are they excited about it were they skeptical at first at all you know i think that will be hard to say it's hard to say and i won't know until it's done and then we'll find out oh when they see themselves on screen yeah i've sent like you know uh, trailer and little clips and little scenes. So I think, you know, people have enjoyed watching that, but it's, you know, it's about what, what happens when it comes together. And so we'll see. Well, what happened at the beginning? How'd you get them on board? Um, we just kind of started filming. We really had a lot of conversations about, you know, um, what we want this to be. I think it was important that, you know, I think there, it, um, it was important that it wasn't just this kind of fluff piece that's like going to show up on the news. And I was like, I don't even know how to make those like, well, vice Vice did something like that, that did end up on the news. Yeah. Um, Which one is that? Which one was that? It wasn't, it was another one that was, uh, I remember, I forget what year it was, but I remember it coming out about Hijra community in Pakistan um what well, it said that in parentheses but it's a trans and yeah i had a lot of friends sharing it with me and said yo like this is a huge thing and whatever um i don't remember the mm-hmm. specific title mm-hmm. yeah i think there's a couple there's been some other work so it's just it's it's a topic that's been i think 
covered a decent amount. And so I think the goal is just to make something that does it a little differently. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's all you can hope for. We yeah. were one time, Frost and I and some of our friends, we were in the basement and we were just scrolling through Netflix and we actually saw a documentary that was called How Gay is Pakistan? Hmm. Um, yeah. And it was about like the trans community and the um, like LGBT community in Pakistan. But it, I think that was... Um, it was of, mostly about like how hidden it yeah. is. And it was somebody from here that went over and... Um, was trying to figure out like, um, you know, what the hidden parts of, like how you were saying, as a country, the, yeah, you're right. A lot of people don't know who we are or hide these things. And I think it helps like letting um, even Pakistanis know that like this community has been here and is here for a while. Mm-hmm. Even if it is hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, yeah. similar to what Shamir was saying, um, what do you do? Because you have other uh, films that deal with other people, um, other sensitive topics. What happens with these people and your relationship with them after you're done the film? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have an example of a film you're talking about? So Which with like Love and Law, for example, which uh, we can talk about in a minute, um, it deals with these Japanese, Japanese gay couple, is it? Mm-hmm. So you meet them, you know, you've met this trans community. Um, well, I don't, like an intimate bond, I guess, in a way. The girl that. who went through some sort of a trauma, traumatic experience who you had a documentary about. Um, I'm not sure what the name was of that one. How the Air Feels. Um, yeah, what mm-hmm. happens with these connect? Do you continue that or do you kind of like wrap it up in your head? Um as like a, that was a part of my life and now you move on? Yeah, so of Love and Law, I was the associate producer. Um, I came on board close to the end of the film. I, I met the director at this documentary lab that she participated in. Her name is Hikaru Toda. She's based in Japan. She's incredible, amazing. And then the producing team was like in London and Paris. So Elham um, is the producer. She's based in London. She's a badass and incredible, amazing producer, super awesome. If you guys want to follow her on Instagram and she's always posting really thoughtful and thought provoking things, um, on there, but yeah, I had gotten involved, uh, close to when they were in the edit, um, as an associate producer. And my responsibility was actually just like helping um, hopefully make some connections with people in the U.S. and like really gear up for this big Kickstarter campaign that we had done. So I actually didn't meet, I didn't meet the lawyers um, in person or anything and didn't really, I I would say didn't really correspond with them, but that story was so important and it really, I, I, I was connected to it. And so I was really excited to work on that project, but that was mostly working. So you weren't as hands-on with, actually working yeah with- i was like working with the creative team for like helping with fundraising and things like Got that it. yeah okay so then in this case i guess you don't know yet um what will happen with that connection do you yeah i don't know yet yeah do you have any hopes or like anything that you're kind of uh wanting to do afterwards you know i just i I just want the opportunity to be able to finish the film. Um, I think that's sort of my goal right now. And I'm open to that 
goal not happening in the next year, you know, that can, because I think um, sometimes these projects take time. So I've been just focusing on other projects and, you know, trying to get those off the ground and just letting this sort of simmer and like wait and see what goes on, but still being, you know, still thinking about it, still looking at footage and things like that. Um, with how the air feels, uh, I am the subject of that film. So that was oh. my relationship to myself. Yeah. And I think for that project, there's a helicopter outside. Hold on. It's okay. We can't I feel really like hear you it. Guys will... Okay. Um, but I think it might be in the stuff that I'm recording. Okay. Yeah. Just so you guys have the option. Let me see. They might not go away. Um, but for that project, I think it was, you know, it, it was more about sharing something that is taboo in our communities and shedding light on, shedding light on that. And hopefully in my process of sharing my story and someone watching it, maybe they can connect to it and they can find some sense of healing or feel empowered to share their own story or just feel seen. Um, because that's an, you know, that's something that's really important to me. I think in our work is especially, especially in my work as a woman, Pakistani Muslim woman that like, you know, I create things that challenge um, the views that we hold in terms of, you know, the space that women should occupy in the world mm. and, and tough and being able to talk about tough, um, tough issues without feeling like there's going to be backlash, you know, without feeling like, Oh, someone is, the community is going to ostracize me because I said this out loud and I'm going to be like totally banished. And I think my point of view on that is like, who gives a fuck if they ostracize me? Like, that's not my problem. You know, that's their problem. Is that something you run into? And I haven't run into that, thankfully, but I think that is, you know, but I think that's a fear that a lot of, um, the older generation are probably parents, you know, and all that stuff that happens. I think there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of shame in our community around um, certain things, you know, just being yourself can feel shameful. Mm -hmm. And how do we break those cycles? How do we just like talk about that stuff? So people feel less alone, I think is really important. How do you pick um, all of these stories that you decide to um, either work on yourself or, you know, help out with? Like, why do you do what you do, basically? Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I like working on things that have some, like, that resonate with me. Um, I think with the documentary, it's stories that I care about. Um, it's filmmakers who I want to help and who I care about. And with like fiction stuff, it's again, it's like a story that I want to see out in the world. So if I'm directing something, I think, you know, or writing something, I think I like to write things that um, I want to see out there that I think are trying to say something. Um, if I'm producing a project, 
It's that I care about the director's vision. And I, again, I love the story. I want to do what I can to help get it out into the world by giving my time and my energy. And, you know, cause it's, when you produce something, it's also very, it's like a very emotional process because you're really in it with the director and the rest of the team. And you really, you give a lot of yourself. So I think it's important to pick things that you really care about because you're going to be in it um, for the long haul, whether it's a short or it's a feature film. I mean, the feature is like even bigger, but yeah. When you're getting so emotionally involved, how do you keep that from affecting you personally? Boundaries, you know, and I think it's practice. I think you have to know the battles that you, you know, you have to pick your battles. Not every, what hill do you want to die on? Um, you know, what fight do you want to fight? Like, I think just thinking about what's going to benefit the film at the end of the day. I really like to think about that. Like if there's an issue that arises on set or something like that, really thinking through, okay, what's the best course of action that can ensure that we get what we need to make this the best film possible. Mm. And just thinking about that instead of focusing on, well, I feel like this and like someone's just wronged me and, But I think all of that is like practice. You know, it takes time. You're not going to get it right the first time. I feel like sometimes when we're in a lot of heavy environments, and I feel like maybe like counselors and therapists feel this way, but when we even surround ourselves around a lot of sadness and things, people find coping mechanisms to deal with it outside of that. Do you have anything that you do to make sure that you don't let it affect you personally? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because there's an article I'll I'll track it down. I'll send it to you guys. But someone had written this article about sort of the trauma of documentary filmmaking for filmmakers, especially filmmakers that are working in these like conflict zones and they're having to go and film really difficult things and needing to just push through it and tell themselves like, it's okay. This is going to be over in two weeks and then I'll, then I'll be fine. And it's like, Mm -hmm. but you're not fine. Right. Um, you know, cause that trauma sits in you, it sits in your body and it'll manifest in some other crazy way down mm-hmm. the line because that happens, especially as you get older. That's and trauma. I think, you know, it's an ongoing process. I feel like for me, it means, um, you know, finding ways to ground myself and center myself. And that might mean working out. That might mean I'm going to sit on the couch and veg out and watch like something on Hulu or Netflix. And I'm not going to give a shit that I'm not being productive. Um, on that note, something I was um, doing. Yeah. Um, don't you ever like as, so you like make videos and stuff, but anytime I watch like a movie or something, I say like, Oh, it's not productive, but I still think about like the filmmaking aspect of it. And I'm always thinking like, how can I implement this in my videos or films or something? Does that happen to you when you watch like movies or something? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's almost a curse because you're like, God, why can't I just like sit and enjoy this? You know, you're like thinking about the acting, you're thinking about like the cinematography and the direction and all this stuff, and you're like, hmm, do I like the story? Do I not? Like, you just 
it's sort of like insanity in some way, right? You're just like, wow, like all I can think about is film. And that's why I think it's really important to have something outside of um, creative that you enjoy. Yes. Have something like whether it's reading books or going on a bike ride or like maybe you love knitting, like having something outside of film when film is your whole career or um, filmmaking is your whole career that there's something else outside that you enjoy too, because that's another, that's an avenue for you to de-stress and, you know, get out of your head all the time. Um, yeah. You know, I think um, you mentioned the, the people that make these documentaries that are, you know, really traumatic just to even look at, but then to be recording and be on set and directing and whatever else. Um, I think you should make a film about people that make those films. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. If someone wants to, if Super someone meta. wants to finance that I'm down. Um, no, it's true. And it's something that's not talked about. You know, there's yeah, a lot of burnout in the industry. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying we don't think about it. No, I was just going to say, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of burnout in the industry and it's something that needs to be talked about. You know, we have to stop glorifying like working 24 seven. It's like, that's not a way to live, you know? And if that's what people need to do to like be successful, that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were saying this earlier too, but you had this on your website. You were saying, I have a distinct memory of being called a Maimunda, which roughly translates to girl boy by my mother and her friends. Why does that stick out to you particularly as like such a strong memory? You know, I, I think this is something I want to explore in my work as well, because I think there's something to that that's less about being a tomboy and more about sort of posturing maleness to uh, feel powerful in society, right? We operate and live within these like patriarchal systems and I'm sorry, I don't want to sound too, I, I don't want to sound too academic, but I think. No, do your there, thing. I also, I also had an older brother, so I looked up to him. And so, you know, I got his hand-me-downs. I was also super sporty. I played soccer forever and ran track. And, um, but I think subconsciously there was probably something else at work there where it's like, oh, if I dress like this and I behave like this, then I will be heard and someone is going to give me the attention that I'm looking for and the power that I'm looking for. And that's when you're and being more masculine or more feminine? More masculine. Mm. And who do you and say that would be giving you the like positive attention when you're... Um... I think society, right? I think society. I think we're, because you feel like as a girl or a woman that you're really only being seen in one way and that's what you look like and that's how you dress. And I think I had a complete rejection of that because I didn't want to see, be seen that way. Mm. You know, I didn't want to dress up in cute clothes and then be called cute. And because it's like, that's, then that's not really about me. That's about like what you think I am. And that's what I look like. Whereas like, if you're a guy, you can walk into a room and someone is just going to give you respect be literally because you're a guy. 
I think it's and funny no other reason. In yeah. Both of these cultures has two completely different things. Like the more masculine feel here, and being referred to that way might give us more power. Whereas I similar to you, um, my parents say like you should have been born a boy because of the way that I act. They're like, you act so non-feminine, you should have been born a boy, or like, you are so doing so many things, whatever. And it's like a negative connotation. So the fact that we have the d dual identities, plus those two things meaning two different things in these two different cultures, I think that's also probably where all our confusion comes in too. Yeah. And how did, how did you um, deal with that growing up? I mean, personally, for like me, that manifested, yeah. I think I kind of read it between the lines, right? So when they say like you should have been born a boy, what are they really saying? They're saying like you do too much, you know, like you're you're not as like you know sweet, pull like you know, what is the attributes that related to a woman? But for a man, it's like you want to provide, you want to be doing the most. You're always out the house, you're always doing something, and that's what's attributed to a boy. And because of that, I looked at it as a positive, even though most people might look at it as a negative. So dealing with that was more so me just accepting the fact that in their minds, I'm never going to be the perfect feminine daughter that they want. However, I'm okay with that because that's not what I want to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. My, my parents would say this um, to my, my parents actually call my sister, my, not the Munda part, but uh, yeah, they just think that she, um, is very like independent and tomboyish but the reason is because in pakistan often and my family still says this if someone's having a kid be like allah kare ke beta de which means mm -hmm. you know may god bless you with a boy and then i think when my sister was growing up she did very things very sort of independently and yeah like yourself she was very sporty and uh, excelled in academics and all these things and you know it's it's like they're like my dad he'll be like proud of the fact that she's boyish mm -hmm. because maybe it's i'm trying to make sense of it through their eyes too right because of how they grew up and i think that they're trying to say that's with women the expectation is like you just you raise them to get married. Right. You raise them to be good wives. Yeah. Which is, honestly, it's all about your parents' perception too, right? So the fact that your parents look at it as a way of like, oh, she's so independent, this and that. Some people, some parents look at it as an amazing thing. Some parents are like, you're too independent for your own good. Right. So it's all about the connotation that our parents put on it as well, yeah. which is how it affects us, I feel. It, it seems like their language. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. Like, they're not really trying to say that, but at the same oh, time... Oh, you're saying, like, how people have a different way of expressing, like, their love. That's what I think. But well, it's also about how they uh, put it off to others as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because then when they are going off to others, they're like, you know, sometimes a conversation will consist of, yeah, she never cooks for the house, but it's never a conversation of, oh, yeah, she's doing X, Y, Z out the house. She was doing this job at this age, whatever. So, it's, again, I think it matters about what your parents value, and then how you value yourself and if, how well those two things align. How are your parents with it? Yeah. I think they've, you know, they've gotten really good. You know, I feel, I feel supported by my parents, of course. Like any parent, you butt heads and you're like, um, you know, you, you get into arguments. But I think 
they have been very supportive of my career. Um, I like, uh, but I would say, and who, who's Shamir, right? What Shamir was saying. It's like, you know, your parents think that they're saying something that's encouraging, but like you're reading it as like not encouraging. Cause you're like, but you didn't say that in an encouraging way. And actually mm-hmm. the words that came out of your mouth were not encouraging. Um, and I think we have a lot of those types of conversations where you're constantly negotiating like, okay, yeah, but did you, I know you said you were happy, but you said it in this other way that had all this other stuff attached <laughs> to it. So, but I give them a lot of credit. I think it's, if I were a parent, if I were an immigrant parent and, you know, you're, you're navigating this world that's like not created for you and you're raising children in this world that like you just want to protect them and you want to do all these things for them that you're not going to get it right and so I think I'm grateful that my parents have an openness at least to like have conversations and hear me out and like they've been really great about that but it's been a process you know we're thankful for your parents too because uh it's allowed your work to be out there. And we're really glad that your work is out there and everyone should definitely go check it out. So if you would like to plug all of that, of what's upcoming, where people can find all of your stuff right now and you know what they can look forward to, please share. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a short documentary premiering at the Oxford Film Festival in Mississippi, actually this weekend. But that's in person. But my film is going to be online for a week, April 1st to the 6th, I believe, um, in Mississippi. And then it's and traveling to the Ashland. Uh, it's called There Was Nobody Here We Knew. It's a short documentary starring my Pakistani immigrant parents as they contemplate alien life. Oh, this is the UFO one. During lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And so it'll be at Oxford. I'll send you guys the link. It'll be at Oxford. Then it's going to the Ashland Film Festival. And then it's going to be at another festival local to y'all. But it's all going to be virtual, which I can't say just yet. But it'll be there Hmm. as well in May. And uh, Noble Half is still in the works. We don't have any dates or anything for that. (laughs) I wish. I wish we had dates. But that film is... You know, it's a long-term project, so we'll see what happens. You know, it's still Are you still doing the Kickstarter or is that done? Is there any way people can support you? The Kickstarter is done. Um, We're just applying for grants and we're going through the footage and seeing if we can make something, you know, maybe that's a little bit shorter out of it, out of what we have. So let's see. Okay. um, Instagram or anything where people can keep up with you? I deactivated Instagram a couple months ago and I don't I'm know trying to help I you out here. have any plans yeah, to be back. Fish. What? I said, I'm trying to help you out here. I know. Do you guys have Twitter? Yes. Shout out your Twitter. We'll link it yeah. below. If you want to. Okay. Yeah. K Malik twit. All right. Well, is my Twitter <laughs> and I'm on Facebook, but I'm not on Instagram. I feel like I should be, but I just, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. <laughs> that's all good is that is that like a weird thing yeah I don't what, know. what is it twit isn't that like a something you say to somebody who's like right. an idiot no like, uh, that's twat yeah yeah he's no, right no but twit is also another no oh, okay. you guys <laughs> oh twit <laughs> is it yeah that's been my that's been my twitter hand it's just twit because it's like 
Twitter. Oh, I thought, yeah, it when you said it, I was like, is that a silly or foolish person? Okay. Yeah. That's why Amber was, Hey, I mean, if it's, you know what, that's me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> she said short for Twitter, <laughs> the innocence. <laughs> okay. Well, um, call again. Thank you. Uh, why didn't you make it tweet? But okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Before. Come on. I'm taking, I am taking suggestions on a new Twitter handle. So if you guys come up with any ideas, let me know. I mean, your name is dope. Like, as is. What, what is the title for, oh, oh uh, Director Holomot. Yes. That should be your Twitter name. Um, okay. Before you, before you leave, though, this is Strange Flavor. So we have a very important question we ask all of our guests at the end. So, Shamir, you want to take that away? If you could describe yourself in any flavor, what would it be and why? Oh. Mm. Oh my God. See, look at our microphones, all these different flavors. Mm-hmm. We knitted them ourselves. Oh, I can't even <laughs> see. Do you guys have caps on the microphones? Yeah, I knitted these them. Are the ones. The pink, the yellow, oh, the really green. Cute. What? So before I answer that, what flavor are you guys? We'll tell you after. Yeah, we'll these are it. actually, these are pretty close yeah, to our flavors. These are all pretty much the, our flavors. The things, the uh, colors of the. Pop filters that we picked? It okay, can be anything. So, this is a tough question, but I would say saffron, pistachio, and chocolate brownie okay. mixed Whoa. together. Okay, okay explain why? yourself. Why is that you? So there's an amazing ice cream shop in LA called Mushdeem Alone. It's like in the Iranian ice cream shop. It's so good. And the two flavors I always pair together are saffron, pistachio, and chocolate brownie i love chocolate i love brownies i've always i just love the taste of chocolate and i like the twist of like the saffron and the pistachio because that gives you like a little bit of like that persian and you know our part of the world vibe so i like that i like the blending of things so the confusion that is pakistan and that is being pakistan yeah (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. the kind of inherent uh what's the word fractured identity that we have hmm. that you just learn to live with we're still hmm. we're still pretty I new celebrate. people if you think about it like yeah. Yeah. Our, the country is not that old and uh yeah i think we got some work to do yeah mm-hmm. for sure but yeah there's it's a it's a interesting and crazy place and we're interesting and crazy people so. here's to the journey and here's to you Oh, <laughs> here's to you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Kala. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Strange Flavors. It's been another week. Another flavor. A little less stranger. We'll talk to you next time. Take me.